If you've been studying music for a while and you've been feeling stuck, don't worry, you're not alone. There's a name for that, and we're going to talk about how to address it next. Hello and welcome to the Musician Toolkit, episode number 63. My name is David Lane and it is great to be with you once again. I hope all of you are doing well today. I am powering through. My my voice is, I think, on the recovery after what's been like a full week or more of like allergy-like symptoms. I mean, I'm, I don't think I had a cold or anything like that because... Uh, Energy-wise, I felt fine. I did everything I normally do. I never felt sick, but you know, just respiratory stuff. Completely lost my voice for portions of days recently, and it might come and go as I'm recording here today, but I'll do my best to power through. I definitely wanted to talk about today's topic, which is something I've been wanting to talk about for a while. I've had it on a list of uh, ideas uh, ever since I heard this phrase in a video. So one of the videos that I watched earlier last year, well, I guess more like the middle of last year in the summer, is one that I'm glad that I bookmarked to go back to later, like I saved the link and all that, <laughs> because it, it's since been unlisted. They took it off their public channel. You can still access it via link. But it's from a channel that talks about like mastering your own songs. And, and, and if you're unfamiliar with that term, mastering is the very last part of the recording and editing process. You record something and then you edit, you, you mix it, and then you give it that finishing touch by mastering it. And this is a channel all about improving that. And the host of this channel mentioned a term that I found really interesting. He says, and it's something that people who study any kind of audio production skills, they all struggle with this at first. It's the reason why they, when you hear your own music, unless you've been doing this professionally for a long time, it just doesn't seem to compare to like the top music of your genre when you hear it by a professional artist. Like, if you're a pop singer, and then you compare your final product to that of Beyonce or someone like that, it just sounds different. And the term that he gave this is what's called the intermediate plateau. And all he had to do is to say that phrase, and I knew exactly what he was talking about. Because I see it very often with students. Actually, let me say that again. I've seen it with every student. I can't think of a single student who blew past the intermediate plateau without at least a little bit of difficulty. The only ones who have done it quickly have been the ones who got there very young. For everyone else, it has been a struggle. And for some people, it becomes just a continuous struggle without any seemingly a path to get to an end. So, of course, what I'm talking about is this whole idea of feeling stuck. You, you've been learning your instrument or you've been composing you you get to a point to where you know you're not a beginner anymore you're making progress in fact maybe it's been a very long time since you could have called yourself a beginner but you also know what really good musicians sound like and you know what advanced performance on your instrument sounds like and you know that you're not there and you 
probably realize you're not even really close. And it just seems like you're working hard to just tread water or to make an amount of progress that you have to look at months or maybe even a year or two at a time to visually see the progress that you've made. And for many, it can be frustrating. For many, this is where a lot of people give up. And now I'm not just talking about music. So I really like that term, the intermediate plateau, because it describes so much, so much truth about the realities of learning an instrument, but but also of learning anything. So I looked it up and found that this is a common term associated in the language learning community. So if you are learning a second language, like for me, it's French and Spanish, and I can definitely see this here. As of the day I'm recording this, I have a 1,877-day streak going on Duolingo, and I can tell you that with the possible exception of one of those days, I have studied Spanish on every one of them. And I can tell you that I did Spanish for three years in high school. Well, it wasn't even two full months ago that I was in the Hispanic section of town going to a taqueria where the waitress really only wanted to speak in Spanish. And, you know, I'm not sure that she really could have spoken much English. Most of the clientele in there were Hispanic, you know, and so she's talking to me in Spanish and I know she's, and she's speaking slowly. She's asking questions about what I want on my tacos and I really couldn't understand most of it. It was deeply frustrating. I had to get her to switch to English so I could order my tacos. So I really understand the frustration. It makes you wonder what are, what are those nearly 1900 straight days for anyway, if you can't even make enough progress to order tacos off of a menu. So you start to feel this way with music. Why am I spending all this time practicing this piece over and over? Why am I practicing these scales and these chord progressions over and over only to barely get better? So like I said, language learning community, they know all about this. They have the term, it's called the intermediate plateau. And I'm going to share with you just some points from an article that talks about the intermediate plateau, why it exists, and what you can do about it. And then I'm going to share my own thoughts about what this is in music and, again, what I think you can do about it. So I probably won't put this link in the show notes, but I'll tell you where I'm getting this first section from. It is from the Glossika blog. That's G-L-O-S-S-I-K-A. And the blog post is called Overcoming the Intermediate Plateau, Keep Calm and Carry On. So the author offers four reasons why the intermediate plateau exists. And the first one is that beginners don't realize how little that they know. And this is very true. You, you have this excitement. It's new. You get started. And, uh, you know, almost everything is designed for you to make progress quickly. I mean, whether it was French, whether it was Spanish, I know that I just latched on to all these new words and these phrases quickly. And this happens with musical instruments. It's, it's new and you get your first taste of playing it and you learn your first piece. And then, you know, if you play for two, three months, it's easy to make quite a bit of progress so that your third, third month, your fourth month pieces sound much harder than the very first things you ever played. But as this article says, learning your first 1,000 words 
is really exciting and takes a certain amount of effort. Well, going from having 5,000 words to 6,000 words is much less exciting, but it takes the same amount of effort and you're gaining far less additional text coverage. When you're beginning something you know very little about the language of what you're learning or the vocabulary, the grammar. So in music, you're not thinking about all the things that go into your technique or the massive leaps in coordination you might have to make if you're playing an instrument that requires both hands doing different things. Because in the beginning, they don't do different things. Sometimes you don't use both hands, and then when you put them together, they're doing the same thing. So that's the first reason that the intermediate plateau exists. If you're a beginner, you don't often realize what you don't know. And then you get to that point to where you not only know a lot, but you're starting to realize what you don't. Or the second reason that it exists is that because intermediate learners must retain old information. So you're not only trying to, to learn things new, you're trying to remember or trying to not lose previously acquired knowledge, which is easier said than done. When you're a beginner, it's impossible to forget what you haven't learned already. Again, this article I'm referring to is about language learning. I like what they say. Uh, they characterize the intermediate level as the ability to hold a simple conversation, albeit with a significant amount of mistakes. The next level implies that few, if any, mistakes are made at all. You can kind of relate that to music, although I think I would go about it a little bit differently, but it gives you an idea of just the struggle of being in this intermediate zone. Okay, the third reason that this author gives for the intermediate zone existing is one that I wholeheartedly agree with. And it's something I've actually mentioned before on a previous podcast about why you might not be a great musician yet. Why you might be struggling to get from good to great. And as this author puts it, the gap or the gaps between levels grow exponentially. And that is true. It is no big deal to step on level one. It's no big deal to, to go up to level two. Level three is a little harder, a little harder to get to, but not, not too much. But then level four... You have to work, and then all of a sudden, level five is getting so far away. So when you're working on piano repertoire, or when you're working on whatever repertoire it is for your instrument, there's a point to where you go from feeling like, I could learn three, four, five of these pieces in a week, to I have to stop thinking about trying to learn an entire piece in a week. I have to cut this into sections. And the fourth and final reason the author offers for the intermediate plateau existing is that there is a difference between theory and practice. So this is the thing with language learning. The best thing about that 1,877 day streak on Duolingo is that it shows that I've thought about the language for that many days. And really what that'll probably keep me from doing is regressing very far. Put enough effort into it, I can probably tread water to stay right where I am. When I decide that Spanish or French or both are priorities, I'm going to have to go communicate with other people speaking the language and be willing to be embarrassed for a while, make some mistakes, and immerse myself. I need to go to the library and get maybe a novel that I know pretty well with a Spanish translation. I need to find a Spanish dubbed version of films that I know. It's not easy, and it might not even be 
a real goal. It's something that you have to really think about. This is a high cost. This is a lot of effort that I have not been doing before, but it is what's necessary if I'm going to actually get to where I know Spanish beyond just the theory of being able to do it in a game, but actually communicate with someone who speaks the language. So I'm now just going to kind of summarize fairly quickly the steps that the author offers for you to overcome the intermediate plateau, because I'm going to be giving you my own in just a moment. And some will be similar, some will be a little bit different. And, and the first thing to do is to keep studying. It's a very simplified thing, but the phrase shut up and work is a little crude, but it does get to the point you have to keep studying. If you want to make progress, you can't give up. The second thing is to polish your knowledge. So in the case of language learning, take a few hours each week to better familiarize yourself with the grammar rules, especially those little details that you previously have thought of as being unimportant. You never know what little details you may have missed. And those little details will be easier to pick up now that you have a, a grasp on the particular grammar point at hand. So working on the basics, keep that one in mind. I'll be coming back to that. Um, the third thing is use the language more. So in other words, you have to use it outside of your designated practice time. The next thing is to pay extra attention. One of the main elements of the plateau is what the author calls the fossilization of mistakes. When a learner seemingly fails to grasp the particular topic and makes the same mistake or mistakes over and over again. Fossilization is very difficult to avoid, but it's not impossible to deal with. Most of the time, there is a direct pattern to be found and working on it will eliminate the mistake. Reviewing the rule and the rules and doing exercises are crucial. So now for musicians, I want to offer seven things that you can do to overcome the intermediate plateau. And then I'm going to offer an eighth solution here in a moment. So let's start with the first one. And this is really an, an important one. Make sure that you have a qualified and committed teacher for your goals. So I want to break that down. Am I saying that it's not a good idea to continue doing everything on your own and that you need a teacher? Yes. This is a podcast about helping you to increase the tools of musician, but I'm really like a tutor. I'm like someone who's a coach, unless I'm working with you directly as a teacher. And I'm certainly not saying that I am your only or even your best choice for a teacher. I could not possibly teach all of those who are listening to this episode. And there's a good chance I don't even play your instrument or teach your subject with any degree of fluency. But you need a teacher who has gone where you want to go, has the patience to teach you where you want to go, and also is in agreement with your goals and understands that you need to go there. I've seen a lot of good teachers, or I should say otherwise good teachers, that will sometimes just not get their students. And they want to guide their students in a different direction. And when that happens, you, you see frustration in the students. So that's the first thing that you need to do. And I really think you should do this really before you can kind of do these other things on your own. You need a good teacher in alignment with your goals who is qualified to guide you in your journey and to hold you accountable. The second thing you should do, and this is very similar to one of the things related to language learning, 
you need to put a higher emphasis on technique. Technique is one of those chores when you're beginner and when you're in, you're starting your journey as an intermediate musician. It's one of those, I don't want to do the scales. I don't want to do the arpeggios. I want to get to the music. Well, if you want to become advanced, you have to change your way of thinking. You need to almost emphasize the technique as much as, and sometimes maybe some weeks even more than you do the repertoire. And you need to really get into it. So let's just take a C major scale, for example. If you can do that one octave, and then two octaves, and then three octaves, and four octaves, if you, you, you can speed it up. If you play an instrument like piano or harp or um, organ, you can use both hands. You can... Uh, also do parallel motion, contrary motion. You should also think about, can we do staccato? Can we start at the top and go down instead of up, instead of always starting at the bottom and going up and then coming back down? Explore your technique with different rhythms. Explore it with different articulations, with different dynamics. Try it soft. Try it loud. Try it with your eyes closed. Try watching your hands. Try looking at sheet music that has the technique while you perform the technique. That's just with one key, one aspect of that key. It needs to be something that you're exploring and you need to overcome this idea that it's a chore. You need to see it as your training, as your nourishment, as what will get you the tools to be able to play the harder repertoire. I've said this more than once, even on this podcast. If there's a piece of music like the Mozart K545 Sonata with a passage of scales, it's supposed to go fast. Well, the fastest you're going to be able to play that piece is however fast you can play that type of scale. You're not going to magically play that piece faster than you can play a one octave or two octave scale in those keys. So if you want to play that piece up to speed and have it sound easy, then you need to work on scales to the point where you can play them faster than you need for that piece. The third thing that you need to do is to put a higher emphasis on music theory. The more advanced, the better. So when you're a beginner, theory is all about understanding note names, rhythm names, key signatures, time signatures. But once you reach that point and you're in an intermediate music, you need to be thinking about how you can identify any chord when it's in any inversion, even in a closed or an open shape, you need to understand chord progressions. You need to understand how you can tell when music is changing keys and how, how those keys relate to each other. Check out the recent episode. Maybe it's about four, three or four episodes ago, the circle of fifths and all it reveals. I went over a lot of that. I also did an episode called the music theory checklist. And I will put all of these episodes that I mentioned in the show notes. So go back and check those out if you haven't. You know, it's one of the points of this podcast. There aren't typically great performers who don't have mastery of other tools of music, such as music theory. When you're intermediate, it's, it's kind of cool in college to complain about the theory class. But I promise you that those who are excelling, who are teaching music, they're not complaining about it. They're embracing it as something that is key to understanding music, to doing it well. The fourth thing you need to do, and I kind of talked about this recently in an episode on goals. There's a book that I've mentioned before called um, 10X is Better Than 2X. It was released, I think, about a couple years ago. 
And so the fourth thing that you can do to overcome the intermediate plateau is to do more 10x types of pieces rather than 2x types of pieces. And so what I mean by that is the 2x type of piece is one that's a little harder than what you're doing now. Well, a little harder than what you're doing now is not much more advanced than where you are now. A 2x type of piece is one that you that you know it might have a faster tempo, it might have a few more twists in the types of scales that you're doing, but you're not going to have to really learn anything brand new to be able to play it. A 10x piece is one. Now I'm going to pause to say this is where uh, this is one of these things where I said you have to have a committed teacher for your goals because and you want to run this by them because there are a lot of teachers that'll say no to this very thing right here. But I think you need to have a piece that you're working on. And I would I would say one is enough. You don't need a bunch of these. You need at least one piece going that most teachers would say is way too hard for you to be bothering with. I have one student that helps me remember this. It is true what they say when you when you teach you sometimes learn as much from your students as they do from you. And, and I have one student who about three times a year, three or four times a year, asks to learn something that they want to be able to play. And I know that a lot of my colleagues would say, why are you letting him learn that? He's on such and such a level. So the first time that happened, he was doing things like, if you know piano repertoire, he was doing things like for Elise. Like the, the complete for release. Um, CPE box solfeggietto. So in other words, this is kind of fast intermediate repertoire. And he said he really wanted to learn the third movement of the Moonlight Sonata. Not the first movement. I had So that was my compromise. I said, okay, we're going to learn the first two movements. And then you can learn the third. So that was my compromise with him. And that compromise worked. He was very willing to go through those first two movements to get to the third. Well... If, if if this doesn't make sense, what I'm talking about, if I was to give a level of one being easy, easy and 10 being difficult to those three movements, well, I give a one and a half to the first movement, a two to the second movement, and probably an eight, eight and a half, close to nine for the third movement. And, and, and it's not to say that compared to all time repertoire, but just to kind of give a point. The third movement is m exponentially harder than the first two movements. It's longer, it's much faster, requires a, a lot of a lot of technique to go into that. And what I found is, of course, not only is he excited, not only is he driven to practice those pieces that he's chosen to dive into, but he comes out a stronger pianist, less timid about other types of pieces that I might throw his way. So I have a 10x piece, and I've talked about it many times. It's the Samuel Barber Sonata. It's not just difficult technically. It's difficult musically. It it has, it, it makes use of 12-tone rows. I've never learned a 12-tone piece that I didn't compose myself, and I haven't done many of those. It has a lot of weird intervals in it, including a doubly augmented second. It has very few measures where I can recognize a chord that I can comfortably put a name to. So it's way outside my comfort zone. And it's also very fast, requires a lot of big leaps, big quick leaps in, in places. So it is a 10x piece for me. I have never done anything like this. 
but I know that I'm going to be much more prepared for all kinds of things when I'm done with this. And the pieces that I've done that were those 10x pieces, um, and, and I feel like the Pathetique Sonata was one that I did before I was probably technically ready to do it. But I was so excited at how much harder it was than the previous things I've been doing that I spent a lot of time on it. And it's, and it's one that well over 30 years later, I still play all the time and I love it. So pick a 10x piece, find something that's almost laughably hard and start trying to learn it and learn it with excitement. Either when you do one of these pieces, it's almost a can't lose because you shouldn't even be playing it anyway, right? But just dive in and when you get to these impossible places, figure out the technique and the exercises that can help you learn it. All right, so the fifth thing that you can do to overcome the intermediate plateau as a musician is to listen to and watch as many top professionals performing as you possibly can. And notice everything about what they're doing. Don't just watch and listen in awe like, wow, they're so good. Get past that emotion and watch their wrists, watch their torso, watch their posture. Notice their poise, notice how they're relaxed. Anything that goes into making the music, watch how they're doing it and watch with what degree of effort they're doing and compare that to how you play. You know, I used to play French horn and um, one year I was in Allstate. I think it was my senior year of high school. It was an uh, Allstate band that year. And the conductor just randomly asked a section I think they asked the trumpets. Who do you think has the best brass section among professional orchestras? And the answer at the time was the Chicago Symphony. And the conductor says, pretend you're in the Chicago Symphony. And then he had them play the passage again. And it was much better. A lot of times, all we need to do is absorb the mannerisms of the people that we want to imitate. And just go ahead and start imitating them. There's a childlike quality to that, that we lose as we get older, but it's really great when we bring it back. Imitate the type of person that you want to be as you're learning the fine details that'll help you actually be that type of person. So the sixth thing is, given all that I've just told you, you need to be patient. These are tools to get over, to get past this chasm that goes between intermediate and great or intermediate and advanced, but that doesn't mean that you can get there quickly. It takes time. So embrace making little progress, little steps along the way. And the seventh and final thing to make more progress, you're going to have to increase the amount of time that you spend practicing. Even if that means more intervals of practice. So maybe you don't have time to practice two or three hours a day. But do you have two or three times a day that would add up to that amount of time? Or four times a day? So if you've heard all seven steps and you think to yourself, this sounds good. It sounds like a lot of work that I don't know if I'm willing to do right now. Then I want to offer you an eighth solution. And, and I'm sorry if I started to, to chuckle while I say it uh, because it is kind of obvious. But I want to say that this is a sincere suggestion and it's one that you should not feel any lesser for especially if you don't have the desire of becoming a 
paid professional musician. If you just want to enjoy music and making music, the eighth suggestion is embrace the intermediate zone. There's a lot of fun there. I get a lot of relaxation and a lot of stimulation by just going on Duolingo and doing these language games, even though I'm not really getting closer to mastering the language by doing that. And I have adult students and, you know, we talk, we talk about how they don't have that much time with their work or other things to practice. And, you know, they're just not really interested in putting in that time that would get them to the next level. And I tell them, you're not going to run out of repertoire that you can play and enjoy, the things that you can learn with one, two, three, or four weeks of practice. I have a student, and I'm pretty sure has been with me for 12 years now, started when she had re- retired. And we go through a lot of music. And, and sometimes we even regress a little bit. We go a little bit easier than she had been playing. But the whole goal is to continue enjoying learning new music as much as possible. If you don't have to become advanced to achieve a certain goal, like becoming a professional musician, maybe you don't need to. So give yourself some grace if there is nothing wrong with being intermediate. If you want to take that next step, the other steps are to make sure you have a qualified and committed teacher for your goals, put a higher emphasis on technique, put a higher emphasis on music theory, the more advanced the better, do more 10x types of pieces rather than 2x types of pieces, ones that will take you a long time and require a lot of growth, listen to and watch as many top professionals perform as possible, noticing everything about their physicalization and their mannerisms, and be patient, and finally increase the total amount of practice time, even if it means more intervals of practice. So my question for you is, have you successfully experienced and recently, fairly recently overcome the intermediate plateau for yourself? If so, tell us your story and what are the things that you did to overcome that? And I would prefer it to be in your own words, to hear your own voice. You can leave me a message at speakpipe.com slash musician toolkit. That link is in the show notes. Just a reminder, if you have a private studio of any kind, you want to check out Fonz which can help you with your schedule and your, your billing and make studio admin a breeze. If you got value out of this episode, I would appreciate it if you would share it with at least one other person. I'm certain that this is a topic that you probably know somebody, whether they're a musician or not, that can really get some benefit that's feeling stuck and wants to go on to the next level. And finally, if you If you are a composer or a pianist and you are looking for someone in an online setting who might help you go to that next level, feel free to send me a message and I can set up a free consultation for us to chat. You can do that at davidlanemusic.com. And while you're there, davidlanemusic.com slash toolkit will get you all of the past episodes of this podcast. So that is going to wrap up episode number 63. I will be back with you next week. Until then... Thank you for listening.